world, we're zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist. It's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, we just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on the website. Brian has done a fantastic job. Uh, can't compliment him enough. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one and Nightmare on Elm Street to our weekly release, they're all on the, on the website if you want to listen there. We've done some incredible interviews in the past. Horror legends. Go to our website and check that out. It's a lot easier to find them there instead of scrolling through 300 plus episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So definitely check that out. We have a store. We have new t-shirts. Uh, we have tumblers on Shan's Etsy page. Definitely rep your DGOT apparel. We'd love to see the pictures if you have any. And I'm going to shout out our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. And you definitely want to be tuned in right now on social media because our next month, Brian's month, the fans are going to be picking our movies each week. So you definitely want your voice heard. Uh, you know, we're going to give all of you the chance to vote and you can pick which, uh, what movie we're going to be reviewing. And the last one we'll show on our website is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. It goes directly back into the podcast. None of that money goes into our own pockets. Uh, it takes a really big burden off of us. It helps us pay for, you know, the website. It helps us pay for where we host our files at, how we make our YouTube videos, stuff like that. And we really appreciate all the help. Or you're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review it, uh, we have that option available as well for one-time donations. We'll be doing one of those reviews next week, actually. Uh, tonight is Brother Dustin's pick. Uh, he's We're going to be concluding Horror Classics Month. And Dustin, you want to go ahead and go with your pick? Announce it. Yeah, so I told you guys last week uh, at the end of that episode that the reason I picked this theme for this month, I was watching through some movies, and I, I watched the most recent MonsterVerse movies, so the new Godzilla, the new King Kong movies, and I, it just dawned on me, you know, <clears throat> King Kong, the original, 1933. We haven't reviewed it, obviously, and uh, we hadn't reviewed any of these movies at the time, so I thought, you know what, let's just pick a month where we knock a, knock a few of these out, knock four of them out the original classics, the original horror movies. And uh, this is a movie that I watched several times as a youth with my grandfather. And um, it's just, I'm, I'm quite fond of it because of those memories, but also, uh, you know, it'd been several years. I'm, I'll be 35 this year. Uh, probably hadn't seen this movie in a good God over 20 years, I'd say. And so when I rewatched it this time, pleased to see that I'm still quite fond of it. I think that it's groundbreaking. It's revolutionary. Uh, the story, the story itself has great bones. It's, it's a good story. And uh, yeah, so that's why I picked it. All right, I'll go next real quick. And uh, I apologize if my voice sounds weird or anything. I've been sick the past couple of days, but I'll just be honest. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. I thought it was okay. I just thought it was way too long for what we got. Uh, I'm sure back in the day, don't shake your head at me like that, Dustin. I'm sure back in 1930. Well, I, I knew you were not going to be fond of it. It's black and white. <laughs> but anywho, I just thought the movie was too long. It's it's not like Creature from the Black Lagoon, like, just drags and just feels miserable. Because I'm sure back in 33, like, seeing this kind of stuff on the screen was pretty freaking awesome, I would imagine. But it just lasted too long to me. Uh, 
I thought Faye Ray was great. I thought she was iconic. She was great. I loved her. I'm, I just didn't really love the look of King Kong's face. Kind of had the, the same thing as like Creature in Black Lagoon. Uh, kind of a butter face, but I don't know. I, I didn't love the movie, but I didn't think it was like god awful either. I just thought it was too long. Uh, go ahead, Brian. So the only connection I have with this film, again, goes back to Universal Studios. But, you know, unlike the other movies we've done this month, it wasn't watching them on replay in the Monster Cafe. It was the ride, King Kong. And it wasn't even so much the ride as it was waiting. And as a kid, that shit was absolutely terrifying. Like, it's a core memory for me. You know, you're standing in those subway tunnels, watching the newscasts, hearing the emergency alert system broadcast. It felt real. It was scary as shit to me as a kid. So that's really my only connection to this movie. But honestly, you have to respect the shit out of it. I mean, like Dustin mentioned, you know, if Dracula and Frankenstein were the birth of horror movies, this was the birth of the modern blockbuster, which not only reminds me of Jurassic Park because of that, you know, but Jurassic Park did the same thing. I mean, it redefined the blockbuster in 1993 and kind of brought us back full circle to this. I mean, this was the first time a character had been created from purely special effects. This was the birth of the modern film score. And if we just randomly picked this, it may not have garnered the, the respect from me as much as it does now. But following Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Clear Lagoon, it feels much bigger. You know, it has a it has a legacy that you can't really understate. I mean, and, and one that I maybe truly didn't appreciate up until now. And one that, you know, Nico says this a lot, but I'm going to go say it in regards to, to this film. It's a movie I feel like you should watch at least once in your lifetime. Uh, plus, this, this movie is meta as hell to me. A movie in 1933 about making a movie? Hell, I'm in. <laughs> last thing I'll say is, I mean, it almost doesn't matter if the film holds up or not to me, you know, which I mean, that definitely is a weird stance, you know, that I've never had with any other movie on this show and one that I may not ever have again. But even that feels kind of right with this movie. Uh, I almost didn't watch this as even a movie. It felt almost like a documentary to me, if that makes sense. But, you know, since we do relegate it to 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 that, I'll say I loved the first hour of this movie. Um, but the end did drag on to me. All right, guys, any more opening thoughts before we just jump into it? All right, let's do it. Let's get uh, it. Radio picture, I, I joked in our group chat that it was four minutes for just an overture. I think that was just written on Amazon because I watched it again on HBO Max, and they cut that part out. So good job, HBO Max. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I didn't have that in my version either. So I, when I started, I was like, damn, what, what version did he watch? But Yeah, Amazon uh, made me look at a screen that just said overture for four minutes. I was like, what the hell is going on right now? But anywho, Radio Picture presents King Kong as opening credits roll, and lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed in its hand from killing. And from that day, it was as one dead. Old Arabian proverb. We're at a harbor now as Charles asks if this is the moving picture ship. The watchman calls the man running it a crazy man. He says the cargo is unique, and there's three times the helpers needed. The captain tells Carl that the insurance is after them after finding out about them carrying explosives. Charles is taken to Carl. Carl says he can't find his girl for this job. Carl says girls in New York are in more danger there than with him. Carl says the public wants a girl, so they'll have one. I'm going to make the best picture in the world. I'm going to get a girl for my picture, Carl says, as he leaves the ship. An apple vendor snaps on a woman grabbing an apple, and Carl pays him off. Carl takes a woman with him in a taxi to a diner to get coffee. Carl asks how she got in her predicament and asks if she's done any acting. 
He tells her of the job and she's curious but nervous. He introduces himself and she knows who he is. He makes moving pictures in the jungle. He says to trust him and keep her chin up. We're on the ship now as John barks orders around. Anne scares him when she just wants to look around. He says women are a nuisance on ship and stay below. The boat takes off and Anne asks Charlie how many potatoes he peels in a week. Anne is upset as John keeps saying this isn't a place for a girl. Anne says she's had the happiest time of her life on this ship. Carl walks up and asks her to try on the costumes. The light is right. Carl tells John not to go soft on him and don't be falling for Anne. He now tells him this is the theme of his movie. Carl shows the captain the island they're going to on a map. Carl asks if they've, if they've ever heard of Kong. It's something monstrous holding the island in a grip of fear. Carl says he's getting its picture. Carl takes pictures of Anne now. He has Anne reenact a scene coaching her through it. John asks the captain, what does he think she's really going to see? It's really foggy now, as Carl says, they should be almost to the island. Jack doesn't think Anne should go to shore until they figure out who's there. Carl says he's running the show and tells him to go hand out guns and ammo. Two men stay behind to watch the boats as they walk up on a wall where they believe the people are hiding behind. They hear tribal chants saying Kong, Kong as they approach the wall. Carl sees the tribe in the show, a woman being covered in flowers, drums play. Carl gets his camera out and the tribe leader spots them. The show stops and Carl has everyone reveal themselves. The tribe leader approaches them and Carl has the skipper give a friendly speech. They want them to leave, but Carl says to convince them to let us stay. The tribe wants Anne for, pri for a prize for Kong. They leave to protect Anne and head back to the ship. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What did you think? Uh, first off, right off the bat, this old Arabian proverb uh, opening the film was actually written by Marianne C. Cooper, the co-writer, co-director, producer. Look, take the time to go find the behind the scenes on this shit and all the shit that he went through to, to get this finally made. And while you're at it, I won't go into it here, but if you haven't yet, look up Cooper's fucking life. That dude is legitimately a real life Indiana Jones. And my guy, my guy Denim in this movie is 100% based on and written as Marion Cooper, no doubt. And again, I won't go into the whole thing here, but just a little tidbit. Cooper actually hired a guy, Edgar Wallace, to write the screenplay and the novel just so Cooper could claim that the movie was based on a best-selling novel. But go, go look up the behind-the-scenes stuff. Cooper was fucking brilliant, I'm telling you. And also, I touched on it in my open, but I'll get into it here just, just a little bit more. Max Steiner did this film score, and he's 100% the grandfather of the modern score like we use today with, you know, and, and how it's synced up with, to what's happening in the movie and the soundtrack. Like he had this vision and the studio ARP who was on the edge of being bankrupt already before the picture, like didn't want to change how they've always done it. And it was Cooper who believed in what Steiner wanted to do so much that he paid him $50,000. That's the equivalent of $1.1 million today out of his own pocket to score this movie. And again, after Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature, like I, for one, really appreciated this. When the tribal chief is walking down the steps and each step is a kind of a blow on the trombone. I see you working, Max Steiner. I see you. Uh, Faye Ray, I think, is great in this, like Nico mentioned. Yeah, it's the 1930s. It's the damsel in distress trope. But she does phenomenal in her role, especially in comparison to the other monster movies of the time that we've watched this month. Uh, she actually in real life had had brown hair, uh, but Cooper wanted a blonde to, to counter the black fur of Kong. And after some other options, like kind of being turned down or else that or, or choosing not to do it themselves, which which Justin may get into with the fun facts. 
she agreed to wear a blonde wig for this role. So a role, by the way, that Cooper kept secret and only told her she'd be starring next to the tallest, darkest, handsome leading male of all time, which, which she thought was going to be Clark Gable. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so again, if you watch this, a lot of this movie really is meta as hell when you, when you know a lot of the backstory. Um, props mostly go to Ruth Rose, who after Wallace, who I mentioned earlier, he, he actually died after being hired. Ruth took over most of the script doctoring and, and smoothed out a lot of this and, you know, and based a lot of it on Cooper and Shotzak themselves. Um, and how, how fucking funny is that line with Jack on the ship talking to Anne for the first time? And she says, I'll try not to be a nuisance. And he's like, you've already been one. See, I don't know. I, just, I laughed pretty hard at that. Like maybe it was just me. Um, but I thought that was funny. A little fun fact and I'll get out of here. The 2005 DVD restoration further details the, quote, risque liberties, quote, of a 1933 pre-code film release in two scenes. They're both in this group. Uh, it's when Anne is on the ship's deck while Nico is peeling potatoes. And the second one is... <laughs> And then the uh, the second one is where uh, where Denim is shooting that test footage of Anne. But the uh, the thin material used for Anne's dress and gown in both scenes makes it obvious that Ray is not wearing a bra. Uh, and so that's a wardrobe decision that would not have made it past the Breen Code the following year. But yeah, this set of scenes could have arguably arguably like been a lot shorter. And I'd understand that argument from anybody. But like I said in the open, it's almost like a documentary to me rather than a movie. And it took the time with character development in the set of scenes and made, to me, these characters more relatable. I mean, I had a hard time with Dracula, Frankenstein, and especially Creature, like keeping up with characters' names because I simply didn't give a shit about them that much. But because of that, like, this has my attention at this point. And I think the first 45 minutes of this is really, really good. Yeah, I agree. But um, <clears throat> I do, you know, again, like I mentioned uh, before, I, I just love the opening credits and the opening score here, like it just feels right for movies of this period. Uh, so that's, you know, very classic stuff there. And then, yeah, right from the beginning, we find out that something's odd about this voyage. Uh, I think that's well done as well. They don't give it away. They leave it very ominous and uh, build some curiosity. So I like that. And, then, you know, speaking of denim, I really like denim style, man. I think more people should smoke t uh, pipe tobacco. I bought a pipe a couple years ago. And walked into the bar and surprised my friends with it. I got uh, quite a few chuckles and I immediately threw that shit in the trash, man. That tobacco <laughs> was awful. Um, man, here's a question I have, though, about this set of scenes. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So 
were you not allowed to touch the fruit before purchasing it? Because literally all she did was grab an apple, and he's like, ah, she's stealing. What? <laughs> like, how else is she supposed right. to buy one? And then also, she looks w- way too nice to be poor enough to steal like that. Like, she's going to steal an apple, dress like she is. She's clean. She looks good. She's dressed nicely. I think they should have done a, a better job of making that that whole scene more believable. Like, when she's first discovered, when she steals the apple, make her look really homely, make her look like shit, and make her get caught, like, putting some apples in her pockets or something, at least. I don't know. That was... I didn't like that. Um, but <laughs> another thing I didn't like is how trusting she is. Hey, listen, sweetheart, I just met you and I just fed you. Now, come on this long boat ride. I'm not going to tell you what you're doing, but just trust me. She goes with it. Okay. Uh, the boat ride does go on a little too long for me, like you kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, like you kind of touched on there, Brian. But I, it, it didn't take me out of it, though. Like, it was still very interesting because we got some character development and they made us, like you said, we care about these characters. The other movies this month for the most part have failed to make us care. And I really like, like you mentioned the meta part, like it's really cool to see him direct her like, okay, look up, gradually look up. And then you've never seen anything like, like that was just so cool to see, you know, a peek behind the the scenes of movies being made. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Then when they get to the Island though, how arrogant is it? To just hop off this ship, take cameras with you, take all this equipment, and just go waltzing through their village. Like, yeah, that's just very disrespectful. They didn't give a shit about this. This is a very Christopher Columbo-esque uh, behavior that he's displaying here. Um, and then <laughs> I laughed. You laughed at one of his lines. I laughed when he's like, if I could only get a picture before they see us. And then he goes, too late. They see us. <laughs> His delivery on that was so funny. Too late. They see us. No shit. Like, you're out there and you're out in the open in broad daylight. Like, this is the only scene in the movie that takes place during the daytime. And you're standing in the middle of the village, not hidden behind anything. Yeah, I think they see you, buddy. But uh, I also liked it when the natives approach the crew. Like, that's a very tense scene when, you know, the captain, he speaks the language and they can communicate, but it's clear that tensions are high and they just want these people gone off their land. Uh, I thought that was a, a very well done scene as well. And as far as the opening goes, I mean, like I said, other than her and being a little bit too unbelievable as a, uh, you know, poor theft. And then other than the uh, boat ride going on just a tad too long, I thought it was a very solid open. John asked Anne why she's not in bed and is scared hearing those drums. He's nervous for what Carl may do to her to make this film. John says he's scared for her and of her. John says he loves her, even though he hates women. He stutters as he asks how she feels about him. The two kiss. <laughs> I wrote, Anne is aching for a quaking as John heads to the bridge. Some tribesmen invade the boat and kidnap Anne. They spot torches going in the village, and John returns looking for Anne. Charlie says he hasn't seen her in two hours. John looks around for her but doesn't find her. Charlie yells out all hands on deck as a chaos ensues. Charlie takes a bracelet to the captain and they begin to search the ship. They can't find her. Captain says to get your rifles in the boats. We're back with the tribe as they celebrate capturing the blonde woman. They open the massive doors and escort Anne up the stairs. She's tied up to be offered to Kong and they shut the doors behind her. They climb on top of the wall and the leader chants for Kong. They hit the gong and say, and they say, Rama Kong. We hear a loud growl as Kong approaches. Anne is terrified. Anne manages to get her hands untied as she's grabbed. 
The film crew make it to the wall, and John sees his love taken away. He orders the door opened immediately. They get the door open, and half the men go with him. The other half stay with the skipper to protect the door. The tribe leader notices them. John's crew is in the jungle looking for Kong and Anne. Carl gets a bomb and throws it at a dinosaur, knocking it over. They walk towards it as it twitches on the ground. They shoot it again and again to make sure it's dead. Carl wishes he could take one of them back. They're in awe of its tail as they keep pressing forward. They find a body of water amongst the fog and hear splashing. The men make a raft of logs and paddle out. They shoot at this other dinosaur in the water that knocks their raft over. Some of the men are grabbed and bitten and dropped back in the water. The dinosaur gets on land now and chases after them. The dino kills one of the men who climbs into a tree. Kong places Anne in a tree as he hears a ruckus. Kong finds the men and knocks them off a tree they were using as a bridge as they fall below to their death. Kong reaches down for John, trying to grab hold of him, but is stabbed with a knife. John cuts a vine as a giant lizard climbs towards him. Anne begins to scream when she spots a T-Rex. Kong leaves John and goes to fight the T-Rex to protect his woman. The tree Anne is in is knocked over and she's trapped as the two creatures continue to squabble. Kong kills the T-Rex and lets out a victorious roar beating its chest. Anne screams as he lays eyes on her. He lets her free and picks her back up walking away. John climbs up a vine and back onto the mainland. Carl tells him Kong is the biggest thing he's ever seen and John will try and alarm them if he finds Anne. All right, Brian, that's the next set of scenes we got. What'd you think? The first part of this set of scenes does a great job, I think, with tension, you know, with the kidnapping of Anne. But a huge part of that is this score, which, again, I think is phenomenal. And I know acting was different back then, but a lot of this movie stands out to me because the acting seems more realistic. Like, it doesn't have that typical, quote, overacting that you get from people back then. And and Faye, I think, does a great job here where you probably have seen a lot of that in other movies of this era. But couple that with the score, I mean, I am I'm blown away here. Even the cinematography is really, I would use the word again, modern. I mean, it, it has a ton of cuts, uh, keeping even, you know, the long shots and scenes interesting to the eye. Uh, it was actually very surprising to me. Again, how revolutionary this movie is compared to seeing the, the universal monster movies over the last three weeks. And, you know, they're all within two years of each other. Um, the way they gave you the shaky cam when the gates are opening uh, the first time, you know, as they're dragging Anne up to that altar, I'm truly blown away, like, how good this looks. Now, we finally get to see Kong at, like, the 42-minute mark, and it's pretty easy to say it's hokey nearly 100 years later, which is crazy to say. But this is where the mechanical part of my brain kicks in, and I've said it before in other movies. I love to hear how special effects are achieved, and this is like a buffet of information uh, when I see this because, you know, I first saw stop motion in probably 1987's Robocop or that 64's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So to see that they did this in 1933, first of all, makes me like, how the fuck didn't you do better 50 years later? But also like, holy shit, like head effects supervisor Willis O'Brien, fucking golf clap to you, my friend. Like now, yeah, the scale isn't exactly consistent when it goes between this uh, 18-inch model by the way, fun fact, made from a metal mesh skeleton frame and was a mixture of rubber and foam for the muscle structure and a rabbit fur for the hair. But when it goes from that to the head and the hand sets that they built for the interacting shots that, you know, where it's like not just on the screen behind them, there's a major scale differential that, that really stands out to me for sure. Like sometimes Kong seems really small, but man, Faye fucking kills it. 
uh, when she's being tied to those posts when Kong first gets there. She does a fantastic acting job, a fantastic acting job. And the way they use sleight of hand to have her like fall off that rock and then have Kong pick her ass up. It's, I thought it was great. I thought it was very well done. Uh, another fun fact, King Kong's roar. It was a lion's roar and a tiger's roar combined, slowed down and run backwards. So just think they were doing all this in 1933. Again, blows my mind. And something else y'all may find boring. But again, my technical brain loves the shit. The one flaw that remains in the animation is the way Kong's fur seems to kind of be moving constantly. Um, that shows where the animators had to grab the figure to move it. Though the animators would, would brush the fur constantly to kind of try to hide their work. It still shows up in the finished film, but many other filmmakers who have uh, used the same technique actually admire this quote unquote flaw because it shows that the work was done by skilled artists using their hands. So the last thing I'll say and I'll shut up them trailing Kong and then running into that Stegosaurus fellas. First of all, shut the fuck up. Like quiet. He doesn't see us. Maybe not, but he fucking hears you. Could you be any goddamn louder? And fuck every one of you guys. You kill the Stegosaurus. You shoot the fucking Brachiosaurus. These dudes are herbivores, by the way. They didn't do anything to you. Fuck you guys. My favorite kill, I'll spoil it right now, is this fucking dude who got ate by the plant-eating Brachiosaurus, which makes me laugh. He changed his diet specifically for you, asshole. That made me laugh. Anyway, uh, another great set of scenes to me. But we have... Two sets of scenes left and almost an hour of the movie left. So towards here at the end of the set of scenes with the T-Rex fight, which for the time was pretty phenomenal, but it kind of went on way too long for me, in my opinion. Um, this is kind of where it starts to, to drag for me. Yeah, a um, couple things here. Number one, Nico, I appreciate your inclusion of the word squabble in your scene-by-scene scene breakdown. <laughs> I, I appreciate that word a lot. Squabble's good. Uh, second thing there, Brian, you mentioned how they achieved King Kong's roar, you know, playing those sounds backwards. Well, uh, little Nikki taught me if you play a Chicago record backwards, it summons the devil. So <laughs> there's that. Um, <laughs> you know, this set of scenes, though, you got Jack dropping the L word already. My God, man, have some dignity. You're damn bad, my boy. Like, you don't, I think I love you. You bitch. No, you don't. Although I've said I love you way too early just to grease. So <laughs> I get it. Um, and then, these idiots leave the rope ladder hanging over the side of the boat or over the side of the ship. And they thought the best place to hang out was right beside it and was literally asking to be kidnapped here. Yeah. So idiots. Uh, and then some uh, yikes moments here between the Chinese guys, overly exaggerated accent and then him saying crazy black man's been here when he shows them the native bracelet, like, that part didn't really age well 90 years later, but yeah. Um, and then here we are 40 minutes into the movie and we get our first look at Kong. Now, while the stop motion didn't exactly age well, you just have to commend the filmmakers for achieving that in 1933. I mean, it's incredible to be honest, but in retrospect, it does look like an episode of Rick, uh, robot chicken. I get it. Now the stegosaurus inclusion is a little weird to me. No way around that. Like, an overgrown gorilla is one thing to have on this island, but dinosaurs? And then the morons fired approximately 300 rounds into it to kill it. Like you said, it's a herbivore. <laughs> right. For what? What are you killing the stegosaurus for? And then the Loch Ness Monster gets into the mix. I didn't realize that Skull Island was that close to Scotland. <laughs> but 
I guess it is. But seriously, though, these are some aggressive-ass herbivore dinosaurs. I mean, like you mentioned, that Loch Ness Monster, whatever the hell it was, was killing people. Jurassic Park really made these species seem so calm and gentle. Someone's full of shit. Someone's full of shit. I'm not sure which side it is yet, but someone got that wrong. But this set of scenes, though, holy shit, we get some violence. This month, these four movies we reviewed has been relatively violence-free. Like, even the deaths have all been off-screen. But we get on-screen kills here. Kong tossed those guys off that tree into the yeah. gorge there, and we actually get to see the bodies, aka the dummies, hitting the uh, hitting the bottom, hitting the ground. That's good stuff to me. Awesome. I love that. It was awesome. Uh, and then we get another dinosaur. Uh, now, at least this one is a carnivore. Still not sure why dinosaurs are here. I guess another thing. So you know, Ulysses McGill uh, from Oh Brother Arthur said that well, ain't this place a geographical anomaly? This place is a geographical anomaly because not only is it, you know, somewhere in Southern hemisphere, but it's also close to Scotland. It's also, it was in the uh, meteor free zone. Like the meteor that took out the dinosaurs didn't hit this area. It was a safe haven for dinosaurs. That's pretty cool. But the last thing I put was, holy shit, this wrestling match we get. Kong hits a nice snapmare takedown and then they lock up in a collar and elbow tie up. Neither side can gain an advantage really until Kong, applies a sleeper hold a la Rowdy Roddy Piper, but then he rips the damn giant, uh, dino's jaw off. That was a pretty brutal match. I think the refs would have stopped it if it was WWE rules. This is clearly ECW. Um, yeah, this is a great set of scenes. We get violence. Uh, we get our look at the stop motion, which didn't age well, but was so incredible at the time. And yeah, I love this. Well, set fun fact, you may have brought up the wrestling thing, but, you know, did you read the fun fact where Cooper and uh, Shodzak yep. were actually wrestlers and acted out the fighting moves for that battle between the T-Rex and the King Kong? I thought it was pretty cool. I did. All right, guys, here's the ending. Kong takes Anne inside of a cave system as John follows behind. Kong puts Anne down, and she's immediately stalked by a snake, but Kong fights it off, killing it by bashing it against the ground, which was hilarious. Kong grabs Anne and climbs to the top of the cave to the mountain's edge. Anne passes out, and Kong holds her in his hand. It takes her clothes off, and she awakes. Kong hears a noise and sets her down and checks in the cave. A pterodactyl flies up and grabs Anne, but Kong gets her free, killing the pterodactyl. John runs up to Anne, and they begin to descend down the mountain on a vine. Kong notices and pulls them back up. The two let go and fall into a pool of water. Back at the gate, they spot the two running towards them. Carl asks, what about Kong? We came here for a moving picture. They yell out, Kong's coming, and they shut the doors. The natives run up and help them hold the doors closed. Kong quickly overpowers them, and they begin to flee. Kong pursues after them, and some of the natives throw spears at him. He kills some of them, biting them to death. Kong kills more as he crushes some of the huts. Carl throws a gas bomb at Kong, disorienting him as they load up in the rowboats. Kong falls over, weakened. Carl sends some of them away after chains and ropes. So they become millionaires showing Kong off on Broadway. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leverage 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's a huge crowd of people to see Kong, eighth, eighth wonder of the world. Anne doesn't want to be there. It reminds her of the awful day on the island. The press shows up and Jack tells them John captured it. But Carl says Anne was what captured it. Kong wanted her. Carl goes on stage to speak to the crowd. He tells them a strange story, but seeing is believing. The curtains are lifted and Kong is revealed. He introduces Miss Anne Darrow, the bravest girl he's ever known. She was saved from the grasp of Kong by the hands of John Driscoll as he's brought on stage. He has the press come out to take pictures. Kong is pissed and the crowd is in fear. Carl reassures them they're safe. Kong gets free and the crowd is in a panic. Kong kills a man as he begins destroying a building. Police are called and Kong climbs to the top of a building, but does some peeping Tom action on the way. He plucks a, he plucks a woman from her bed and drops her below to her death. John gets Anne to their room, but Kong spots him. He grabs Anne and climbs to the top of the building. Anne tries to crawl away, but is quickly scooped up. Kong is back on the street now and he destroys a train track. The conductor slams the brakes as the train comes to a halt as it falls off the track. Kong makes his, his way to the Empire State Building. And John says, we need an airplane to attack. The planes begin to attack Kong as Anne is set down on the ledge of the building. Kong knocks down one of the planes as it crashes down ablaze. Kong grabs Anne one more time and sets her back down as he takes more machine gun blasts. Kong falls down the building as John reunites with Anne. Carl says it was beauty that killed the beast, not the airplanes. The end. All right, Brian, that's the ending. What do you think? Look, first of all, her pull, him pulling that girl out of that building and then dropping her to her death was jarringly shocking to me, by the way. Uh, but again, this third of the movie, I felt like went on a little too long. Part of me feels like it should have ended on the island. But I guess like it's kind of like the Lost World Jurassic Park, where if that movie had ended, we wouldn't have been able to to, to see the visual of, of T-Rex roaming through suburbia. And if this had stopped at the island, we would have never gotten that visual of Kong climbing to the top of the Empire State Building, which, I mean, yeah, it's iconic. But you got to remember, most movies at this time were filmed in these forests. I mean, we had Tarzan and everything else. So to get to see the monster at the top of the Empire State Building was really, I mean, that was really something else. Not to mention the the skyscraper had only been finished two years before this. So, again, it's a give and take for me. The pacing just felt a little bit off with it. And it kind of drug at the end to me, like, I don't know, shorten the T-Rex fight before, take out the snake battle in the cave, lose Kong weirdly undressing Anne on that cliff ledge. Um, and you can lose the pterodactyl battle, too, honestly. Um, you know, even still keeping the rest. I mean, just that felt like 15 minutes anyway. I don't know if they were or not, but it felt like that. Um, but also, speaking of visuals, Cooper had originally planned for Kong to be exhibited in Yankee Stadium but later decided at, uh, at the theater. Um, Special effects chief Willis H.O. Uh, O'Brien drew a sketch of Kong breaking loose in the stadium. How fucking cool would that have been? Like, holy shit, old Yankee Stadium? Man, that would have been awesome. Uh, but maybe we save everything after the island for the sequel. I don't know. 
you know, hit us with a to be continued, maybe would have had people eating out of your hands even more. Anyway, who am I to try to script Dr. Probably the most influential film of all time. So I'll shut the hell up now, but uh, go ahead, Dustin. <laughs> so right after Kong sits and in her little <clears throat> cubby hole there in the cave there, that snake that JLo and Ice Cube were looking for shows up and then Kong makes light work of it. So that's funny. Like this, I don't know where the hell this Island is. It's, it's everywhere, but it's very cutting edge stuff with the blending of stop motion and live action. I thought that that was super impressive. Like you mentioned the sleight of hand there. That was awesome. I mean, you can tell sure, but come on, put yourself in 1933. That was great. And then a damn pterodactyl shows up. And then I finally realized where this Skull Island actually is. Skull Island is actually Isla Nubar. John Hammond, you son of a bitch. Ah, nice. But it's a very chaotic, intense scene after Kong breaks through the door and terrorizes the village. Uh, he's eating people, stomping them into the ground. This is wild stuff. Also, awesome stuff, considering how mild this month has been. Like, it's just great to see this much action and, and violence. Um, I do have questions about the practicality of them getting Kong onto the ship and how Kong was unconscious for the whole trip and just was okay once they got there. But I guess I can forgive the leaps in logic. After all, it's a giant gorilla that fights dinosaurs. So, okay. Um, now, imagine, though, if this movie were made today and supposed to take place today. Imagine the backlash that a person would face in 2023 if they chained up an animal like that, like they had Kong chained up on stage. <laughs> Talk about a difference in the times there. Uh, we get a great shot of Kong looking through the window as the woman slept and he, as he's climbing the building and he's peeking through the windows. I thought that was great stuff here. Uh, and then Jack. Kong reaches his hand through the window to grab Ann. What kind of idiot swings a chair to hit someone or something and ends up knocking himself out? The fuck was that, dude? God. But then the, the train wreck scene. Uh, you have to appreciate that groundbreaking stuff or how groundbreaking that stuff was. Uh, the train scene was awesome. Just again, um, great work. Uh, and then, honestly, one of the most iconic shots in cinematic history, King Kong on the Empire State Building. That was awesome. Now, when King, when uh, Kong swatted the plane out of the air, it caromed off the building there. It might have, and That might have been the first time that a plane hit a tall building in New York City but it would not be the last. And then when Kong is finally shot down, by the time we get here, you honestly, you can't help but feel sorry for him. I mean, you can't get mad at a wild animal for being a wild animal. He's the victim here. Like Kong was, yeah, terrorizing the village and you know, terrorizing people in New York and grabbed a woman out of a window and climbed the Empire State. But he's the victim. He's a wild animal. But I do like Denim's closing line about how beauty killed the beast. You know, that's a great line because really, I mean, we can all obsess over things that lead us to our own demise. I mean, I've been guilty of that myself. And so it kind of just puts it all in perspective. Uh, you know, everyone's the hero in their own story. Everyone's the villain in someone else's eyes. And if you obsess over something like he obsessed over, Anne, I guess it's, it's pretty poetic stuff there. I appreciated that, but it's a, I can understand why you thought this set of scenes drug on too long. Um, I liked it. I would have been fine with the ending on the island, sure, but I like, you know, like I said, King Kong on Empire State Building. It's one of the most iconic shots in history. Um, it would have been cool to see him in Yankee Stadium, but we can forgive that because the uh, the train scene alone makes up for it. 
All right, guys, jump to our social media comments and questions. We'll go over to Twitter first. A big fan of the show, Randy Smith, comment. Excited to hear y'all's take on such a classic. I miss this ride at Universal Studios, Orlando. And yes, I know they have a new one, but it's just not the same. I never got to experience that. I'm, I'm assuming it's pretty cool. It was very cool. Jump over to Facebook. Kevin Potoff comment. This is an amazing movie. I know it's a puppet, boys. You best take off your hat when you talk about King Kong. Thanks for the great show. Hey, appreciate the compliment, man. Appreciate that. Now we'll jump over to Instagram. Ryan underscore Lictro 827 commented, watch this not too long ago. Personally, I think it still holds up. Sure, it's a bit hokey, but the stop motion is awesome. It was very impressive for 1933. Uh, Release date, rewind, commented, nice. Won't have a chance to talk about this on my show this month, but glad you are. I read that the most dangerous game, a movie short story I love, used the same King Kong set back then. I didn't know that. That's cool. And that's all we got for social media comments. Uh, Brian, you want to kick us off with fun facts? Yeah, sure. I got four. Uh, Max Steiner's score for the film was unique for many reasons. I kind of touched on a little bit of this, though, but it was the first feature-length original score for a talkie, the first major Hollywood film to use an original thematic score rather than background music, the first score to use a 46-piece orchestra, and the first score to be recorded on three tracks – one for sound effects, one for dialogue, and one for music. Now, keep in mind, this was almost 100 years ago. That's crazy. Uh, the Laserdisc edition of this film includes the first audio commentary ever made for a movie. Uh, the first or the finished film utilized less than 10,000 feet of film, although 238,000 feet were shot. And the last thing, on August 10th, 2004, Two days after Faye Ray passed away, the Empire State Building darkened its lights in her memory. Cool. I got a few here. So Marion C. Cooper's first version or uh, first vision for the film was a giant ape on top of the world's tallest building fighting airplanes. He worked backwards from there to develop the rest of the story. Uh, around 80 minutes into the film, a man standing in line to see Kong complains to his lady companion. These tickets cost me 20 bucks. Now, so you can assume that that was $10 a ticket. That would have been an extreme amount for a, a cost of a ticket in Depression Wreck 1933. By contrast, a ticket to see the 1933 New York Yankees, which featured Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, would have cost about 35 cents. So 20 bucks in 1933, that's about $463 in 2023 wow. money. No, that's insane. You. Now, if you had Mike money and we're going to see, uh, you know, Taylor Swift or something, then that would be nothing. That's true. That's true. Uh, the fight between Kong and the pterodactyl took seven weeks to film due to the stop motion. That's insane commitment. In 1991, King Kong was added to the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress. And the last stuff I have is some budgetary stuff since Mike's not here this week. Um, the budget was $670,000 which adjusted for inflation in 2023 would be about $15.5 million. Huge budget. Um, worldwide box office gross was $10,1781, which is over $232 million in today's money. And, I mean, this movie opened, the opening weekend grossed $90,000 in the first weekend wow. alone. This is the biggest opening ever at the time. So very impressive stuff here. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's kick off our favorite part of the show, favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. I'll go first. Favorite kill, I'm going to go with those tribes people who were like 
stomped to death by King Kong was like shoving their head in the dirt. I was like, damn, <laughs> man, hell yeah. Look, brother is mad aggressive. Least favorite kill, I'm kind of torn between two of them. I thought the most ridiculous one was the guy killed by the dinosaur in a tree screaming terribly. I thought that was pretty awful. But also thought like, damn, that poor lady who just got grabbed by Kong and dropped below for no reason. I was like, damn, that's cold, that's cold-blooded. So those are my two least favorite kills. Uh, rating, I appreciate the movie for what it is and for when it came out. Uh, I just think it's a little too long. And it just, I have no desire to ever rewatch it, really. It's just, it, it just drags too much in a lot of, I feel like they had something they just wanted to keep showing off Kong fighting like this dinosaur, this pterodactyl. It just got mundane to me. But I thought the movie was solid, so, but I didn't love it or anything like that. So I just gave it a flat four. Sorry. Wow. Um, okay. So I had this closing written where I basically reiterated my, my newfound respect for this movie and how I just felt greater than the other movies this month. But I'm going to just shoot off the cuff here for a second. When I was watching this earlier, my three-year-old daughter, and she was glued to this, absolutely glued to this, talking about the, the monkey being a monster, like, oh, my gosh, it's scary. And I don't mean this as any sort of slight to the movie because she was three. I mean this as, like, she usually watches stuff like Paw Patrol and Cocomelon. So she just watched this in awe. Like, no comments about how hokey anything was or, or anything like that because she didn't have anything to compare it to. And, you know, that that opened my eyes. Seeing her watch the movie like that opened my eyes because that's how people 100 years ago watched this movie. They didn't have comparisons like we do. I don't know. That was eye-opening to me. Uh, it was really cool to, to see that. And I guess, it, you know, it was meant to be that, that she walked in and started watching it at that point in time. But I'm going to give this movie a nine. All right. So, yeah, this movie, first of all, my three-year-old came in when I was watching this movie, and she oh. said, Papa, Papa, this is cinematic masterpiece. Papa. The <laughs> the director was in a, unequivocally committed to their Papa. craft. And I was like, yeah, you're right, Peanut. But um, anyway, I think this movie is a classic. I agree. Uh, oh, yeah, the kills. I almost forgot. I wanted to get that joke in. So my favorite kill was uh, the guys that were flung off the tree into the oh, ditch. Shit. Because we got on-screen on kills here. Like, that was the first ones we've seen this month. And then that one guy's leg was all mangled. Like, his body hits his legs <laughs> up in the air. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> least favorite kill for me was the damn Stegosaurus, because why was it even here? And why did they shoot that bastard 94 times? Fuck right. out of here. But the movie is classic. Uh, I think it does hold up, as, like, story-wise. And when I think of black and white movies. If someone asked me, what's my favorite movie that came out before color? I'll probably say this one. Like, I, I think the bones are there for a great story. It's obviously been remade, uh, hundreds, you know, not hundreds of times, but several yeah. times. And King Kong, the character is iconic. The the shot on top of the empire state building is legendary. So I went with a 9.25 gives us three, a composite score of five. Oh, I can't do math. What the Asian guy do? Hold on. <laughs> Too busy peeling potatoes on that ship. It gives us a composite score of 7.4167. IMDb is at a 7.9, so we're pretty close there. <laughs> uh, I actually forgot my least favorite and favorite kill, but literally they're the same as, as Dustin's. This movie was racist as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, buddy, just wait till we get to go. Uh, the, one, the one Asian guy on the boat, his name is Charlie. Of all names. <laughs> uh, oh, Lord. All right, any final thoughts for our shout out our blood donors? No, we're sorry. I'm we're crying sorry. tears right now. It's so funny. <laughs> shout out to our blood donors. Really appreciate y'all. Our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson. The Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, and Michael Evans. Our camp counselor recurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Heather Smith, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick, Clay Moore, Karen, Matt Strickland, and Gail Koontz. And our final girl donor and our episode for next week is Missy Wall and we will be reviewing her pick of Chernobyl Diaries uh, I have not I kind of turned the movie on today but I was sick in bed so I didn't really watch it too much but I'm excited to watch it and review it seems uh, pretty interesting yeah absolutely hey everyone Dustin here and listen when I'm not watching horror movies there's a pretty good chance that I'm watching wrestling and if you are like me and you also enjoy professional wrestling, you may enjoy my new podcast. It's called The Lore of the Ring. It's available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, you name it. I'm out there. And if you want to hear me talk about WCW, WWF, WWE, ECW, TNA Impact, and so much more, come join me, and I appreciate the support. Any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? No, I'm really glad we did this month. Honestly, I mean, I know, I know, Nico struggled through it. But I'm, I'm really glad this month is over. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad we did it. There's a lot of movies that I, I always meant to see that I never got a chance to. I'm glad I did. Even, I, like I will say, even though these aren't my favorite movies and I don't really like them, I do need to watch them. Just uh, as a horror fan, I do need to watch the classics, the originals. But uh, let's not pick another one for a while. Uh, well, yeah, I can't wait for uh, part two, like this, you know, Horror Classic Month part two. I think I'm going to use my PTO that month. Uh, Uh-oh. Anyway, I'm going to say it one more time. Check out our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, heck, YouTube as well. We're putting out posts on all of them So, because for, for Brian's month, it's really cool. Your votes determine what movie we're reviewing. We're going to pick four apiece, and each week we're going to post those those movies up you're going to vote which one you want us to do so go check out our socials right now twitter instagram tiktok all of them and go vote on brian's pick for not next week but the week after uh, really appreciate y'all and y'all have a good one king kong ain't got shit on me